So if you're able to stand, will you please stand as we read God's Word, Proverbs chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder, throw in your lot among us, and we will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them, hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wow, let's pray. Dear God, you do love us enough to tell us the truth. And Father God, you show us in your word that there are things that entice us and allure us that are not worthy of following. They are deceitful. And dear God, you alone are the light and the truth. You alone are the one that we listen to and we, we come to. These other things that are uh, tempting, that are distractions, Father, are only that which comes from the devil himself. But Lord, we lack the wisdom we lack, Father, the faith to turn away from those things that allure us. So in this, dear God, we always pray and we, we, we cry out to you, Father, to show us, show us the truth and give us the strength to turn away from that which is alluring and wrong and instead embrace that which is true and right. Lord, speak to us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. God bless you guys. How many of you have ever spent money that later you realized you didn't have and regretted it? I'm, I only see two or three hands out there. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I think we've all been there before in our lives where we thought it was the right thing to do, and later we realized how foolish we were. And this is not just about money. It's just about anything that we follow, that we pursue. Um, it, there are times that we thought it was the right choice, but after the fact, when we saw the consequences of that choice, we realized how wrong it was. That is part of our fallen nature. We are attracted to things that we think are good and right and true, and they are pleasant, but in oftentimes, as God's Word shows us, and especially in this proverb, we see that those things that are the most tempting are those things which are the most evil. Can we say amen? Everybody's gotten real quiet because it hits home, doesn't it? This hits home so true, and the, the Proverbs of Solomon are designed to teach us the wisdom of the Lord in a way that, that really just grabs us where we are. 
because it teaches us the truths of righteousness in experiences that we know where we have failed. And as a result, we must turn to the Lord for repentance and we must turn to the Lord for restoration. The first book of, or the first chapter of the book of Proverbs introduces exactly what's happening in this wonderful book. Last week we were in Proverbs chapter 3. And this week in the first chapter of Proverbs, we see exactly the wisdom that Solomon, the king of Israel, is speaking to his son directly. But this fatherly wisdom that he's giving his son is also intended to be for all of God's children. And God's speaking through this teaching and speaking through wisdom to us as his people. What is wisdom? You might ask, I mean, sometimes we confuse wisdom with knowledge, and there is a big difference. Knowledge is knowing how to accomplish something, knowing how to do something, some kind of a skill that you learn. Wisdom is knowing how to apply that knowledge, what to do with it. It's one thing to have skill. It's one thing to have a lot of data knowledge and being able to accomplish a lot of things. The, other, the problem comes when we don't apply it correctly. That's what wisdom is. And where does wisdom come from? According to the word of God, wisdom is of God himself. Verse 7 of Proverbs 1, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So you see even here, God is the beginning of knowledge. The fearing God is the beginning of learning about God's ways, and that's the knowledge that we can obtain. We can memorize Scripture all day long. We can learn all of the, the ins and outs of being a, a God's people and learning how to live a Christian life. But without wisdom, we're fools, because in verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's one thing to be knowledgeable. It's one thing to be smart. It's one thing to be good at something. It's another thing to have the wisdom to know how to apply it. See the point? And this is where God's word in the book of Proverbs is so rich. Wow. Parents, if you want to know how to teach your children, you don't know how to teach them, I'm telling you, the book of Proverbs is your textbook. Even if you don't homeschool, even if after coming home from public school, you want to sit down with your children and have some homeschooling time and teaching them the ways of the Lord, just read the Proverbs to them. (laughs) I mean, just over and over and over and over again. And we as parents may actually learn something ourselves. Here in verse 8, Solomon is writing to his son and teaching him, and he tells him in verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. You see, fathers, we are called to instruct our children, men. The teaching of the children is not left up to the mother alone. Fathers are to teach their children. Likewise, mothers, you must also teach your children. But the father must also be allowed to teach the children. And I want to say that pretty boldly. I know a lot of men who are lazy. I know a lot of men who don't want anything to do with their kids. But I also know a lot of mothers who push the fathers out of the children's lives because they're men. We don't want the men near the kids. That's my job, the mothers say. I know a lot of young men who desire to teach their children, but they can't get close to them. 
And so it's a battle. It is a balance. Mothers and fathers, we have a teamwork to do. We've got things to teach our children together. Fathers, it says in verse fathers in verses 8 and 9, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Very specific. Fathers, you teach. You instruct. You guide. You lead. And then also, do not forsake your mother's teaching. So you've got both going on here. Now, what is it when, when, we, when we listen to the wisdom of our parents? No matter how old we get, we're still children to our parents. And when we learn from our parents, when we follow the instruction of our fathers, when we, when we model a good father's wisdom, when we actually pay honor to our mothers and listen to what they have to teach us as well, giving them respect that is rightly due, according to God's word here, then it is like an ornament of grace around your head. You know what that looks like in verse 9? For, the, for listening to the father's instruction and the mother's teaching, these are a graceful garland for your head. The King James calls this an ornament of grace. It's, that's like a crown. Think about this. The, the, what we learn from the wisdom of our parents is like a crown around our heads. Isn't that, isn't that that's majestic, that's royal. And it's, it's, it's also like pendants or chains around our neck. So think about it, like a lot of jewelry as a necklace around, you, around your neck and a crown above your head. If you actually follow the wisdom of your parents, wow, you will do well. That's the, that's the imagery we have here. These jewels of wisdom. These jewels of wisdom from learning from those who have come before us. Because they've been there, they've done that, they've failed, they've succeeded. They want to pass it down to us. Now, Proverbs, he repeatedly presents the idea of two paths. Throughout all of Scripture we see this, but particularly in the Proverbs, you will often see the imagery. We always have two choices, don't we? Whenever we have to make a decision, whether it be a new job, whether it be moving to a new house or a new town, or, or whether or not to join a certain church, or whatever it is that we're struggling with, oftentimes we're faced with two choices. And Proverbs really shows us that whenever we are presented with two paths to follow, one is always the wise path that leads to righteous living and leads to life itself. The other path is often foolish, which leads to wickedness and evil and ending of life. You see the difference? And it, 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 is up, it, it depends upon the wisdom of God to discern which path is correct. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, the foolish path is so deceiving, we do not recognize it as such. That's the problem. Because the wise path is often the difficult path. And the foolish path is every single time it appears to be the easy path. And Proverbs warns us time and time and time again to always take the wise path of righteousness because that leads to life. One of the biggest things that we face in, in this country and in our prosperity as Americans is excessive greed for money and stuff. Stuff. How much stuff do you have? You never know how much stuff you've got until you have to move out of one house into another. You don't realize what got lost in the back of a closet or under a bed. We accumulate so much stuff. 
Can I, can I just be really honest as well? A lot of the stuff that we get, yes, we waste money and buy it. But can I also say a lot of people waste money, buy it, and then give it? And what are you supposed to do with it then? I remember one time I was ready to move out of one house. and I was actually leaving uh, Cookville to move on uh, to seminary. And I was cleaning out the house. This is before I met Rhonda. I was cleaning stuff out. And man, I was cleaning stuff out of the garage that I know I didn't buy. I said, somebody gave me that, and I know who gave me that, but I didn't dare get rid of it because that might hurt their feelings. Sometimes in a, in a desire to be kind, we give stuff to people and actually burden them and weigh them down with things that don't help. If you buy it and you give it, they're just going to end up having to take it to the dump eventually. Can we say amen? Amen. This excessive greed for stuff and power and money. Proverbs makes it real clear. That's the foolish path. It's foolish to be attracted and desiring stuff and power and money because eventually it will destroy you. We often do not see our own greed We think that our desire for nice things is normal and healthy. This is part of the allure. You know, there is absolutely nothing wrong with living in a clean house. There's absolutely nothing wrong with wearing clean clothes. There's absolutely nothing wrong with living well. The problem is when we confuse that with a desire for nice things as if that is the center of our lives and we become greedy and want more and more niceness that is beyond our reach. That's the problem. I know some folks who are as dirt poor as dirt poor can be. We all know someone like this. They don't make a lot of money, but they live cleanly. They live well. They don't have a lot of stuff cluttered up in their lives. And they're happy. I don't know about you, but what really exhausts me is having to take care of stuff. It's exhausting. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, it takes you away. Yet too many families, too too numerous to count, too many families and lives are destroyed by the desire to accumulate nice things. Too many families are destroyed by the desire to provide nice things. You know what families need? Each other. They need time. And if we've got stuff we're pursuing, we're going to avoid the time. We're going to miss it. There's not going to be time left for each other. And we're going to lose what is most valuable, which is time as God himself has designed it for families to have. The problem is it's often too late when the weight of our poor decisions is finally acknowledged. By the time we realize that we are burdened down with our bad choices, it's too late. We're crushed. And it requires help. Proverbs here, especially in, verse, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, shows us the wisdom of a father to his son about which path to avoid. And he's giving his son, beginning in verse 10, something to look forward to. To avoid. He says, watch for these things. This is not what you do. Verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If sinners entice you, do not consent. That's an interesting... I love this. That one verse is a beautiful point to wisdom. 
If sinners entice you, first of all, I think it, it's clear that, that, that the Father here, Solomon, is speaking about sinners, evil people, unrighteous folk. If sinners entice you, what does it mean to entice? To entice means to attract by offering something. Has anybody ever made, a, made an offer to you of something that you just can't pass up? Anybody ever had a salesperson give you a call on the phone? They used to knock on your door, but I think that stopped for the most part. I don't, I don't think, I can't remember the last time a salesperson came to my door. Now, I'll tell you what happens here in Cookville. Every summer, right around June, there's a group of college students that works for a company out of Nashville. They descend on Cookville and come knocking door to door trying to sell books. Has anybody ever had those folks? Yeah. Let me tell you, I, I know that company because I knew somebody that worked for that company, and they say the company doesn't care if you buy books. That's not what they're selling. What they're selling is they're training these young college students how to be salesmen and how to be pushy so that they then move them up the ladder to do other things. That's what that company is doing. Just passing that on to you. I know the person who used to work for them. That, they're not selling books. They're trying to get into your house. They're trying to get into your lives so that they can take more money from you later. That's the whole point. See, whenever we, when, sin, when, when we are being enticed, I, I want you to understand here in verse 10, the idea of enticement is being attracted by something that is offered to you. It's like bait. It's something that is attractive. It's like something that is appealing. We've got some fishermen in here, right? What do you put on the hook? You don't put on the hook something that the fish are not going to want. You put something on the hook that you know will attract, entice the fish to come and try to get it. And what happens once that fish grabs the bait? You set the hook. That's what enticement means. It is a decoy. It is something that is seductive. It is something that is tempting. And it always comes in the package of someone trying to give it to you. It, it comes across as, hey, this is free. You want it? We all know the old proverb, the first one is always free. But after that, it's not. So, in verse 10, Solomon is saying, if sinners entice... First of all, I would argue that if you are being offered something that is enticing, as if it is too good to be true, it's coming from a sinner. It's coming from an evil, wicked intent. If it is too good to be true, guess what? Every time it is. And it takes wisdom and experience and a little bit of living to recognize that we may actually be sucked into it from time to time before we realize what it is we're doing. And then sometime, hopefully, the Lord teaches us to actually wake up and say no. Amen? The last thing here in verse 10, if sinners entice you, what is the advice? Do not consent. In other words, don't be willing to follow. Don't be willing to go down that path because what is being dangled before your nose is something that is too good to be true and it is going to lead to destruction. It is clearly bait. It is a decoy. It is seductive. I think every one of us have experienced that, haven't we? Yeah? 
Now beginning in verses 11 through 6, if, if you're making notes in your Bible, if you just like want to draw a box, draw a rectangle around verses 11 through 6, this right here is exactly just a proverb. It is a story. It's a story that's very familiar to us because this type of a, of a setting that, uh, that Solomon is teaching his son is a story that we hear in many different forms, in children's stories and in movies all the time. You see, because evil people will entice those who are righteous to go with them, to come with me and do wicked things. It's like a gang of thugs want to include you in their little group, right? That's very hard to resist. A peer group wants you to belong with them. Is that not something that everybody hungers for? We're lonely. We want to belong somewhere. And so the devil will use a gang of evil thugs or a peer group that appears nice and appears welcoming. Why don't you come with us? It's because the devil knows our nature. We desire connection. We desire to belong. And we see here in verses 11 through 16 exactly what's going on. Let's look at verse 11. Talking about the sinners who are enticing us. Verse 11. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive. And whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall, find, we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have all one purse. You see that in verses 11 through 14? Those who would follow the evil path, the foolish path, are those who are going to try to draw you in to come with them. And notice the language here. I mean, they're making no bones about it. Come with us. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Oh, we're going to go have fun. We're going to play some pranks. How many people actually played pranks on friends when you were kids? But this father that I knew, uh, his son wanted to go and, and roll somebody's yard. They don't do that much anymore. Like where you get toilet paper and throw it up in the trees and all over the front yard and all this stuff and the bushes, right? Uh, and, and, this, and this young teenager, I mean, he was wise. He went to his father and said, hey, some kids from the youth group want to go and roll somebody's house that was in the church. Okay, another church member, somebody they knew. And the father's wisdom was this. He said, listen, I understand having fun is great. He said, but if you go and roll this person's house, make, some, make a nice thing out of it. Go roll their house and have fun, but the next morning, show up with a bunch of donuts and coffee and then clean up their yard. That father's wisdom took something that was a prank and mischievous and turned it into a wonderful example of servanthood and loving another. I thought that was great. But in this situation, verses 11 through 14, there is clearly no intent to do anything kind. The intent here in verses 11 and 14 is all about the evil, foolish people trying to suck in the righteous. We are going to go and hurt people. Look at verse 11. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. There's no reason for violence. There's no reason to attack. We're just going to go and do it because we want blood. And then in verse 12, verse 12 is a great example. It, it, the, the Word of God is so, so intent here. 
Verse 12 describes exactly what kind of ambush this is. It is comparing this ambush to like going down to Sheol, the dead place, where death swallows us alive. These evil people in verse 11, yes, they want to wait in ambush for people, but they're, they're, they're describing it as if death was coming to swallow somebody. And to swallow them whole and alive like those who go down to the pit. Verse 13 is the, is the appealing part. We shall, find, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. The King James says we shall, um, we shall fill all precious goods or substance. We shall fill things. We shall fill our house with spoil. We shall fill our house with plunder. What is spoil and plunder? It's those things that you take from people that you kill or are dead. You take. You just take for yourself. That's what spoil and plunder is. It is something for ourselves. That right there, I think, in verse 13, is a very clear indicator of what is foolish and evil. Because if the intent is for ourselves, it is very clear in Scripture that it is wrong. It is not the path of the righteous. If it is all about me, that's a red flag. Verse 14, now here's the, here's the, the attempt to seal the deal. Right? Verse 14, telling the righteous... Throw your lot in amongst us. We will all have one purse. Cast your lot among us. Let us have one purse. In other words, you got money? Bring it into the group. We'll share. How often does that work out? How many people have actually, you got a little money in your pocket and your friends want to go out and have a good time and... Oh, just, we'll, we'll all contribute. We'll all share what we're able to do. You put in your part, and I'll put in my part. But whatever happens at the end, how much money did they have to contribute? Probably nothing. <laughs> and who ends up losing their money? Me or you? You see the point? Do you, you, you hear the language here? The language in verse 14 is the language of inclusiveness. Oh, just come be a part of us. Bring what you have and we'll all share. We'll have one purse to have fun with. We'll have one purse to do what needs to be done. But listen to me, that purse is always only for the wicked. It is never shared amongst the group. Never. Right? This is the words of wisdom from a father to a son. Think about this story, verses 11 through 14. This, this little narrative here in Proverbs 1, 11 through 14, really kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Do we hear it in children's stories a lot? Do we hear it in Scripture a lot? The story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. That, understanding the, the parable of the Good Samaritan in light of Proverbs chapter 1 here, I think opens up that story in a new light, doesn't it? It's not just about the Good Samaritan being the only one that loved and took care of the poor person who was robbed. We read this text this morning as our opening passage, as the call to worship. I don't think that that parable of Jesus 
is just about who is your neighbor. That is true. Who is your neighbor? It's the one who sacrifices and loves the one who needs help and shows mercy the way God shows mercy. But what is that good Samaritan doing? That good Samaritan is walking in the path of righteousness. That's your neighbor. The person that that is your neighbor, the group of people you belong to, are the people who show mercy and kindness. They walk the right road. That parable of the Good Samaritan in light of what we're reading here in Proverbs really shows us that, number one, you've got a gang of thieves out to get you as you're walking on the road to worship in Jerusalem. He's on his way. And he gets robbed and beaten and left to die. That's what a group of a gang will do. That's the term of a gang who's only out for the gang's profit and they don't care who they hurt But think about in the story of the Good Samaritan, who left the poor man on the road? The people who walked in righteousness? Were they walking a path of righteousness or were they walking a foolish path of destruction and evil? They were acting no differently than what the the writer in Proverbs tells us is evil and enticing. We also see this story of of a gang of thugs lying in wait. And and as I was reading this and studying this over the last couple of weeks, I could not help it. Every single time I sat down and thought about it, the story of Pinocchio always kept coming to mind. You you know that that great classic children's story, right? Even great literature borrows from the wisdom of God. And I think Pinocchio has that theme all the way through it. We know the story of Pinocchio, right? The little boy or the little puppet that wanted to be a boy. And what did Pinocchio always do? He always kept getting in trouble. And what was it that always led him down the path of destruction? It was listening to the fox and the cat who were enticing Pinocchio out of his gold, out of his lunch, out of his... He was going to go and help his father. He was trying to get back home. And the fox and the cat are constantly alluring Pinocchio with promises of belonging to the gang. And the fox and the cat even, even trick, him, trick Pinocchio out of his money. Oh, throw your gold into the purse with us. We're going to go and make more money. And they end up stealing all he has. Think about that wonderful story. Slick words, promises of riches, even telling Pinocchio school is a waste of your time, if you remember that. So folks, anybody who tells you that education is not necessary or that education is worthless, remember the story of Pinocchio. Remember what we're reading here in the book of Proverbs. They will... will, draw you in. They will entice you with something that seems more appealing. Trust me, an education is hard work, but an education is worth it. You see, the gang of evil, they always ask this question, throw in your lot with us. (laughs) But they never share. It's never a good path to follow. Now notice, I, I love the hymn that Caleb 
shared with us today. You chose this. And even the, even the words of the, of the other songs that we sung today, if you compare this message in the book of Proverbs, they are all, the same message is all throughout these lyrics, right? A mighty fortress is our God. Just let's, let me, I, I have to do this because as we were singing, I said, boy, this so connects with our sermon today. Is that okay? Can I read a little bit of this again? Right? And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. O little word shall fail Him. And then this last verse, I love this. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. This wonderful hymn from Martin Luther tells us, Let the goods and even your kindred go. Can even our family be alluring and distracting to us sometimes? The love of family can, with, can draw us away from the church. This is why it's very important that whenever we choose a mate to marry, we have to be discerning whether or not that mate is going to stick with us in the difficult walk of righteous living in the church, or are they going to draw us away? Now, what is the result of following the gang of thugs here? What is the result of, of following... The foolish path, can I continue to emphasize that foolish and evil are synonymous in the Proverbs. Verse, look at verse, well first of all in verse 15 of Proverbs 1. My son, do not walk in the way with them. In other words, don't walk down the foolish path. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. And what is the result of this in verses 17 through 19? Here is the result. Look at verse 17. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. What does that one proverb mean? For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. What this really points to is that if we walk in wisdom and righteousness, the nets that are out there to, dis- to trap us will be so clear that we will avoid them like a bird avoids a net. It is foolish for us to just stretch a net out in the backyard hoping that we'll catch a stray bird. Why is that foolish? Because I don't know about you, but if I'm a bird and I'm flying through a backyard and I see a net, I'm going to avoid it. Has anybody ever tried to catch a bird? They're pretty difficult to catch. Even if you get out there and try to actually, with a net, with your hand, try to, try to actually physically grab them, they're going to be difficult that way alone because they're going to be too fast for you. But what if you just say, I want to stretch a net out in the backyard and by tomorrow morning I want to have a whole bunch of birds caught in my net. That's not going to happen. because of, Look at this. Verse, right here, verse 17. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. That's a foolish act because even a bird is wise enough not to be trapped and caught in the net. 
So likewise, righteous people, don't get caught up in the net. You're wiser than that. That's what, that's what Solomon is teaching his son. You're smarter than this. If a bird can avoid getting caught in a net, so can you. Because in verse 18, But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. You see, the language of the foolish, evil people trying to hurt others for their own selfish gain, in truth, are really hurting themselves. You see, whenever we pursue the easy path, whenever we look at two roads that diverge in a yellow wood, the famous poem by Robert Frost, the one that is the most difficult is the one that is the most worthy of following and the one that you will not regret. The one that is easy and looks enticing is the one that is actually the one that will ambush you and lead to death. Because look in verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. All about you, but I mean, the result of walking down a foolish path, trying to gain easy prosperity, and trying to gain easy money, and try to not have to work so hard, is the path that ultimately leads to death. Not physical death per se, yes, that's part of it, but spiritual death. Unhappiness. Your life is miserable. The life of the righteous who actually follow the difficult path of having to work for their bread and to save up a little at a time is the one that leads to life. These folks who are trying to entice you into a foolish, evil path, they're only trying to take you down with them. Because really, they're living a life of destruction. They're destroying themselves See, their own desire to destroy and steal actually destroys themselves. So what appears to be wise and to be beautiful and easy is not really true at all. Very often, naked greed will destroy us. Now, this greed may not destroy us today. It may not destroy you immediately. But consequences always catch up to us. So naked greed and, and selfishness trying to just feed our passions and our desires may not kill you today. But it'll catch up to us sometime later. Always does. First Kings chapter 22, we read about Ahab and Jezebel. They, 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 they murdered out of greed. It looked like they got away with it, but eventually, 1 Kings chapter 22 shows that this greedy murder eventually kills them. It catches up to them, and it costs them their lives. Now, we've all fallen to the temptations of greed, haven't we? And we've always justified our choices. 1 Timothy chapter 6 teaches us the difference here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. 
Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You see that? These, these desires for stuff plunge us into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, before we misunderstand what the Scriptures teach us, nowhere in Scripture does it say that being successful after hard work and making wise choices and good deals or growing wealth, honestly, that is not a bad thing. That is a godly thing. That points to the godliness that God is showing us. We can be witnesses of here's what good work and honest choices make. But to pursue wealth and prosperity for the sake of our own selfish greed and just to get more and more and more is an idolatry that Scripture has pointed to us today is very clear and leads to a foolish path of destruction. Now, this is not just a problem for the rich. I would argue that most people who barely live hand to mouth, it's possible that they're not able to work a lot and earn a lot of money and they're struggling to make ends meet. But it's also very possible that some people have good salaries, but they waste it trying to be rich. And then they regret what they've done later. And it leads to destruction. God's people are smarter than this. God's people can walk down a path of righteousness rather than foolishness and not be distracted by desiring more and more and more. Now, let me, let me just be real direct here. Having a nice house is not necessarily a need. Having an adequate house is. If you're living in a place that is not adequate, by all means, work toward getting to a place that's adequate. But doesn't necessarily mean we have to have a house we cannot afford. Do we need a nice car? We need an adequate car. I mean, in this day and age, you've got to have transportation. You've got to. To get to work, to, to take kids to school, to run errands. You've got to have a car. It is a necessity. But there's a difference between having a nice car and an adequate car. You see the difference? Now, every one of us have fallen into this error. Every one of us. We go buy things that we really can't afford because we think we need them or can't live without them. It's not necessarily... It may not even be a desire to do better. It may just be a desire. You look at something, hey, I can't do it any other way, so I've got to go buy it, and I don't have the money for it or whatever. 
But we can learn from Jesus in this, and He can be our example, and we can actually be restored and redeemed out of this. You see, Jesus did grow in wisdom and stature, the Scriptures say in Luke chapter 2. Right? As He was young, Jesus Himself, He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, Luke 2, 52. Jesus Himself learned. He lived a life of wisdom. He lived a life of the right choices. And he regained the honor and the respect of those around him. If Jesus can grow in wisdom and stature, I will argue that so can we. And so do the Proverbs. The Proverbs tell us, Scripture tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if Jesus can grow in wisdom and stature, we can do the same. Think about this at the end of Jesus' life. Judas was enticed to betray Jesus. And when Jesus died between two thieves on the cross, Judas ended up in the grave by the end of the day. Jesus came out of his. Amen? Judas was enticed by greed, and he sold his Savior for a few gold coins. And it was his destruction. He ended up in the grave. But after Judas went into his grave, Jesus came out of his. Amen? If Jesus can overcome the path of destruction that leads to death, Jesus didn't walk that path of destruction, but He overcame it for you and me. If Jesus can do that, so can we. If we are bought by His blood, if we carry His name, then Jesus can rescue us from our foolish greed. Amen? Because Christ gives His Spirit to His followers, and that Spirit of Christ empowers us to walk in wisdom. That's the point of the God's Word. That's the point of, of the wisdom that Solomon is giving his son in the book of Proverbs. God gives us the wisdom necessary to walk the righteous path. Amen? So as Caleb comes, let me ask you this question. What is, it, what is it that you pursue? It doesn't hurt to ask ourselves that from time to time. Where is our focus? What is our desire? What are we looking after? What do we pursue? Do we pursue worldly greed? Or do we pursue the righteous living? See the point? Do we pursue righteousness? Do we pursue godliness? Do we pursue faith? Here's what righteousness looks like in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Talking about fleeing the, the foolish path. Instead, verse 11, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Flee from all that distracts us from this. Amen? Now again, we've all done it. But we have a Savior who loves us and forgives us of our sin, and He can give us the wisdom to walk out of our foolish decisions. Whether it's a financial issue, whether it's just decisions in general that have led you into a life that is unhappy and you know that it was your choice that got you there, we have a Savior who can rescue us out of that and He can give us the willpower 
to follow his example and to actually say, I want to be an example of Christ, not a fool who's walking down a destructive path. What is it that you desire? It all boils down to desire and pursuit. What are we pursuing? Are we pursuing Christ or are we pursuing the world? Are we pursuing Christ and righteousness or are we, or are we even pursuing our own satisfaction? That's an idol right there. And the book of Proverbs gives us a lot of wisdom to embrace the truth of the gospel, to walk out of it. Amen. Let me pray for us. Dear Father God, we thank you for your word. And you show us time and time and time again practical directions for living the life of righteousness as your people. But Lord, as fallen creatures, we fail. We go into debt that we can never pay. We pursue relationships and a lifestyle that we know is wrong, but somehow is alluring, and then we regret it. To God, your Son, Jesus Christ, overcame temptations, and He overcame the allure of the devil over and over again to the point that your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, crushed the head of the serpent who is constantly, even now, enticing us and alluring us with bait that will just take us down a path of evil. And I pray, dear God, that everyone in this room who calls upon your name would, number one, receive your your chastisement and your love to reveal to us the truth of our, our bad choices, but then to give us enough grace and mercy to help us walk out of it. Lord, I pray that you would just love on each and every one of us. Dear God, that you would show us with your wisdom which is the right path and which is not. We ask for your protection in this. We ask God that you would grow us in wisdom and stature just as you grew your son. Let us be good witnesses for your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.